we're going to be looking at uh, just for just for a few minutes today. Uh, John, we're going to continue in from what we looked at last week. Uh, John chapter number four, and uh, John four is uh, Jesus and his disciples are heading to Galilee, um, or leaving, or heading yes, heading into Galilee, and they stop off based on God's providential plan. They stop off in a city called Sychar. And Sychar is a, uh, a Samaria, a village uh, uh, attached or connected to Samaria. And, uh, and when Jesus uh, gets there, he, he's tired. It, it says that he, from a long journey, Jesus was tired. Um, and he stops off at this well. And um, as he's w- waiting at this well, uh, a woman from that city, the Samaritan woman, comes to the well. And as she's approaching the well... Um, she's, this is a sort of an unusual time uh, for, for women to, to come to the well. It was, uh, the scripture tells us that it was around noon is when that took place. And so he's there, it's noon, it's an unusual time, but it's all part of God's plan. And so she comes up, she has her bucket, she starts to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me something to drink, or can I have something to drink? Now, this was an unusual request. One, in that culture at that time, um, men didn't talk to women, especially rabbis. Jesus was a rabbi. Rabbis didn't talk to women. And the uh, you know, cultural tensions were that Jews didn't have and didn't, wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. And so Jesus is asking this woman, a rabbi man, talking to a Samaritan woman and asking her for something to drink. And she calls it out. She says, what, you know, are you talking to me? Like, are you, me, you know, what, what, why would you, you know, a Jew have a conversation with a Samaritan? And so, you know, he, he, he then, you know, said to her, well, you know, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink because the water that I give you, you'll never thirst again. And she then makes a statement like, wait a minute. How, how can you say that? You know, this is Jacob's well, which was a big deal, you know, in that culture. This is Jacob's well. You know, he dug it. He drank from it, you know, and he's now passed it on to us, you know, to enjoy. How is it that, you know, you say that the water that you can give me, I'll never thirst again? And then she makes a statement because, you know, this was this really happened. She said, you don't even have a bucket to draw from. Like, you know, you're offering me water that the water that you drink from you, you'll never thirst again, but you don't even have a, a, you know, a bucket to draw from. And Jesus essentially saying, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, this kind of well or water. I'm talking about the, 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 what I can give you. And, And Jesus essentially was telling the woman, listen, what I have to offer, nothing else in this life can offer it. What I have to give to you, nothing else in this life can give it. And, and Jesus would say, you know, you can try all sorts of different wells in your life. You know, you could try the, the well of, you know, relationships, and that will never really satisfy. You can try the, the well of maybe material possessions, but that won't ever be enough for you. You can try the well of, you know, doing for yourself and meeting your own needs and making you happy. But at the end of the day, that will only sustain for so long and that won't be enough for you. And so what Jesus was telling this woman was this, I'm enough. I'm enough. 
If you learn every day to draw from me, I'm enough. If you learn to make me first in your life, I'm enough. And so we've been talking about worship, and that's essentially what worship is. That worship isn't a religious thing. And when you hear about worship, you hear, you think about religion. It's not a religious thing. Worship is a thing thing. Worship is what everybody does. It's not, and usually the issue is, is not typically, you know, the quality of worship. Because when we lock into something, when we really like something, and we're really engaged by something, the quality of our worship is top notch. It really is. It's top notch. When we, when we like make something important, we, we, de- we demonstrate it. We show it. We wear it. You know, we wear the clothes. You know, we have the look. You know, it's, what we can show is what is our worship is not necessarily even what we say. It's not really necessarily what we talk about. Our worship is demonstrated in how we live and how we act and, and our, whatever our priorities are. And so worship is, is not a religious thing. And so Jesus was telling this, this Samaritan woman, listen, you can try to draw from anything that you want in this world, but it will never be enough. It will never be enough. And Jesus was trying to get her to understand something that I think is important for every single person here in this room, that worship is not even about a place that you go to. You may think you're here today and you're like, I'm going to get some good points with God today because I'm in church. I went to a church. Like, I, I was worried that the building would collapse on me and cave in on me. But I'm here, God, do you see me? Is as if God is only keeping track of your spiritual life on Sunday mornings. Like sometimes this is our mindset. We think, well, God like peers out of heaven down into church buildings and says, they must be fine. They must be doing okay because there they are filling a seat in a building. Listen, worship is not about a place. Worship is, is about a person, a person. I don't come here on Sunday mornings because, you know, this is the place to be where I meet with God. no. I'm here, we gather here on Sunday mornings is because when the church comes together, we represent the body of Christ. We represent a person, a person. But my worship and your worship in reality, if we're honest with ourselves, our worship happens all the time. Our worship happens everywhere. And so if you're here with us last week, you know, we said that you know, worship was about giving life, giving life. And so if you imagine the story of the woman at the well, I mean, this is, I can't, paint for you the, the you know good enough picture for you to really understand but this woman represented the lowest of the lows this woman represented a checkered past this woman represented someone who's made a lot of mistakes can anybody relate with that in here you don't have to raise your hand I see you pointing at your neighbor, though. That's weird. Yeah, thank you. Like, yeah, right here, right here. Listen, all of us can relate to that. All of us can relate to that. Because the good news about our faith is that we don't have to claim to be perfect because we're not. I'm not standing before you today telling you that I'm a perfect person. I am absolutely not a perfect person. But I have a relationship with a perfect Savior. 
I, I know him, and, he, and he's making me better from the inside out. He's changing me from the inside out. And as a result of that, I want to live my life in honor to him. But listen, the reality is, is that this woman was a picture of an imperfect person that a perfect, loving God left heaven to come to this earth and to establish a relationship with that person. And that woman, Jesus said about her, that this woman is going to be someone who is going to have inside of her a well of spring that gives life. And this is the reality for those who put their faith in Jesus. That what God can do is that God can use the most imperfect people, that God can use them in a powerful, powerful way. That even... even the fact that he used this Samaritan woman in all of her bad decisions, in all of her poor choices, in all of her checkered past, in all of her, you know, habits that, you know, she's trying to figure out how to get out of, that God said, listen, I'm going to take that kind of person and I'm going to do something incredible with that kind of person. I hope that you believe that about yourself. That God can make you and do something in you that you couldn't and I couldn't do on my own. That God can make you a better man. That God can make you a better woman. God can make you a better husband, a better wife, a better father, you know, a better boyfriend or a girlfriend. That God can do that in you. But you have to and I have to, this is important, we have to draw from the well named Jesus. And when we draw from that well named Jesus, everything changes for you. Everything. And this is what he's telling that woman. Hey, you ought to be somebody. I want you to be somebody that can be life-giving. Life-giving. That's what he wants for all of us, to be life-giving. The other thing about worship is this. Worship is, is about giving life. Worship is also about real life. It's about real life. We've been, this is what we, I've been trying to advocate over the last number of weeks, that it's not just about gathering on a Sunday morning at 11 a.m. That's not what worship is. That worship is about our real, everyday life. I mean, think about this for a second. When Jesus goes up to the woman at the well, I mean, they're talking about worship, but they're also talking about adultery, they're talking about, you know, racial dissensions. They're talking about, you know, what's lacking in her life. I mean, they're talking about real life issues. Worship is about real life. That I can and you can worship just as much on a Monday afternoon or a Wednesday night, or a Friday night, or a Saturday night, as you can on a Sunday morning. And what you do with your relationships is under the category of worship. What you do with your finances are under the category of worship. The way that you see your job or your education are under the category of worship. You, you don't get away from it. How you, you know... Do your taxes are under the category of worship. How you act on a 
basketball court or on a baseball field or a tennis court or a golf course is worship. How you respond when you drive out of a parking lot and somebody cuts you off is under the category of worship. How you carry yourself at your school, how you de demonstrate your, you know, your demeanor and your, you know, how you respond to people, it's all under worship. Worship is about real life, real life. That's what worship is about. And this is what he's trying to help her understand. It's about real life. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to this church in Corinth. Do we have that verse? 1 Corinthians 6. There it is. 1 Corinthians 6. All things are lawful for me. Now, what is he saying? First of all, he's, he's making a statement that is a sort of a slogan in that time. Okay, so when he's saying all things are lawful for me, they were at that time in that culture, in that city of Corinth, they understood that slogan. They understood that slogan. It's like advertising slogans for us today. For example, some of the advertising slogans that maybe are familiar to you are some like these. You got one? Obey your thirst, right? When you think of obey your thirst or hear obey your thirst, you think of Sprite, right? Let me, give you, let me show you another one. This is, this is maybe a, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? You've heard these. You know these. These are familiar to you. Some other ones. When in Rome, do as the Romans do, right? You've heard these slogans before. Familiar with these? Let me give you one more, okay? Remember Burger Kings? Have it your way, right? Have it your way, right? Now listen. These are familiar slogans, so when Paul said, all things are lawful for me, he was like quoting a Burger King ad. He was like quoting a Sprite slogan. And all of these slogans, and there's many, many others, all of these slogans have to do with like you, right? Like you, their marketing is good at this. You know, they, they advertise it to, to appeal to, you know, its consumers, and so slogans, things like, obey your thirst. Uh, that might be good sometimes, but is it good all the time? You know, slogans like, have it your way. Now, when you've had it your way, has that always worked out well? Sometimes it works out, but other times it doesn't. You know, like the slogan of whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Is that usually a good idea? Is that a life model to live? No. So Paul is, is drawing from this, these kind of things. Paul is drawing from, hey, all things are lawful for me. In other words, here's what, here's what the freedom is offered through Christ. Here's what he's saying. You have the freedom to do whatever you want to do. You have the ability to do whatever you want to do. And grace, which is what God offers, grace will cover that. Or Paul says that grace will exceed that. So when he's saying all things are lawful, this was their approach. Hey, I'm going to do in Vegas, and whatever I do in Vegas is just going to stay in Vegas. 
When he's saying all things are lawful for me, he's saying I'm just gonna, whatever I thirst or whatever I crave, I'm gonna obey that. What he's saying is this, that whatever you want it your way, right away, which is the, you know, the other part of that slogan, your way, right away. Whenever you have your way, right away, that means, man, that's for me. That's what I want. I want it my way, and I want it right away. Isn't that what our culture is? I want it my way, and I want it right away. I'm not waiting. And so Paul says, listen, you can do that. You can do that. And the grace of God exceeds whatever decision you make, whatever choices you make in that. You're welcome to, to, to live how you want to live. Boy, what a day to show up to church, right? Live how you want to live. But look what he said. He adds this statement to a slogan that was familiar to them. Look what he said. He says, not all things, no, he says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. Come on, you know this. Even at the times in, deep down in your soul, you're going, yeah, I had it my way, but man, I don't know how profitable that was. Yeah, I had it right away, but I don't know how profitable that was. Yeah, I went to Vegas, and I thought it would stay in Vegas, but it really didn't stay in Vegas. It kind of followed me. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you don't. I don't know. <laughs> he says, I don't know. I, he, goes, I, he says, listen, listen. You're permitted, you're permitted to live how you want to live and make anything your God, worship anything you want to worship. But he said this, but are all things profitable? And what you'll discover and what I've discovered in my life, if we're honest, is that he says this, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. You know what happens typically for us when we decide that we want to have it our way and do our own thing and go our own direction and you know, live how we want to live and, and treat people how we want to treat people and, and expect that from others? You know what happens typically? That thing that we think is going to bring us fulfillment and satisfaction or joy in our life never usually does. It always leaves us still empty. And what happens is not just that. It doesn't just continually leave us empty inside. What's happening is this, is that it's now become our master. It's now what we, at one time, were got a hold of and thought, this is what I can control. I can control this habit. I can control this routine. I can control you know, this craving. And I'm just going to obey that craving. I can control what I do at a particular time. And if I just do it there, and if I do it from, with myself and nobody's around, it can't hurt anybody else. It's just going to happen there, and it's going to stay there. And, all of these, and, I, and nobody's going to get hurt as a result of it. But here's the reality, and here's what many of us already know. It has become your and my master. And what Paul is advocating here is simply this, that you should have one master, and his name is Jesus. You should have one person 
who is controlling, who is dictating, who is informing all the areas of your life. Why? Because worship is a, is a, is a life thing. It's not a religious thing. It's about real life. And what should master you is Jesus. The one who is, when you draw from him, that you'll never thirst again. And that your life will be better off. I know I'm preacher talk. I know, I know. Your life would be better off if Jesus was the Lord and master of it. Because when we try to make something else more important, because of what we think that that thing or that someone will do for us, ultimately it will master us. It will master us. And if we had time and if you had the courage, we could stand up in this room and all of us could say, yeah, this thing controlled me. Yeah, this thing that I thought I had a handle on owns me. Yeah, this thing that I thought was gonna bring me more happiness in my life actually brought me more hurt and pain. What's happened is this, it's become the thing that has now mastered you. That's worship. And what Jesus wants is this. He's want, what he wants is this. He said, look what he says to the woman at the well. John 4, verse 23. John 4, 23, if you could give me that, Rachel. Thanks. But an hour is coming, and now is when true, look at that, look at that, look what he said. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Now, here's what he's, here's what he's implying. Here's what he's implying. He's implying this. That everyone is a worshiper. Everyone. It's, a, it's not a religious thing. It's a life thing. It's what you lock into. That, th- that thing becomes your idol. That thing becomes your God. Everyone is a worshiper. But what, what the Father seeks, what God wants, is this. He wants you to be a true worshiper. He doesn't just say, well, I just want them to be a worshiper because that's, that's, like a, that's like a religious thing. No, he's saying everybody's a worshiper, but I want them to be a true worshiper. That's what I want. That's who I'm going after. That's who God is seeking after. So he's saying, listen, I, that's, that's, that's our approach. That's our approach. Our approach is this. We want to see people become true worshipers. My agenda is clear. We have, I have, and many of the people in this room have a hope that is only found in Jesus. Anything that this world has to offer is hopeless. It will always fail. And Jesus's mission Jesus, what Jesus was wanting to accomplish. As a matter of fact, the disciples went off to go get food and they came back and they said, Jesus, did you get food? And here's what his his response to them was this in in verse uh, 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his 
work. That's my food. That's my agenda. My, I'm here because I'm get a, my job, my mission that God has given me is to find and seek after true and, 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 you know, and to convert true worshipers. And worship for us, especially if those that know Jesus, worship for us is that, is that desire to want to go out and to convert people into becoming true worshipers. You say, why? Why, why do we do that? Why? You know, like you, maybe you hear, like, oh, I don't know about Christianity. I don't know about Jesus. And you, you're skeptical. And I get all that. I understand all your questions. And boy, I'd be happy to sit down with you and try to answer some of those questions. But listen, you know, people, I hear it all the time, people that are skeptical. They say, why do you, why do you share your faith? Why can't you just keep it to yourself? Why, why does it matter to you that other people believe what you believe? And here's Why? The reason why we are so bold in our faith, and, we, and Christians do a terrible job at this, so don't be a Christian because you know a Christian. I tell people that all the time. Don't be a Christian because you know one. Be a Christian because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has to offer. And what we believe around here is simply this, that Jesus and following Jesus makes your life better. And he makes you better at life. When you put your faith in Jesus, that he is a well that is a source that you will never thirst for anything else ever again. You will never hunger for anything else ever again. And that our mission, our commission in Matthew 28 is to go out and to share the hope that is only found in Jesus. And you don't have to work for that. You don't have to earn that. You don't have to do enough good things to get to that place. All you simply have to do is put your faith and receive the grace that was given to you. Because God wants not worshipers. Everybody's that. God's seeking true worshipers. And the reason why I can on occasion be so bold to say that you need a relationship with Jesus is because I care about you enough to tell you that you need and I needed to be a true worshiper. And that you need a relationship with a savior because you and I fall short of a perfect God, but Jesus stepped in the middle between a holy God and an imperfect person. By the way, the story at the well, that's the story of the story at the well. There was an imperfect woman with a checkered past who made all sorts of mistakes and there was no way she was going to get to a holy God as a result of her decisions. But Jesus stood in the gap between her and a holy God and said, hey, woman, draw from me. Don't draw from this well anymore. It will master you ultimately. Draw from me because I'm the hope for the world. That's the message of the woman at the well. He is the hope for you. Listen, that's why we are so bold. And that's why as a Christian, a part of your worship 
is to as a desire to convert worshipers into true worshipers. That's a part of our worship. It's a part of our worship. Because I've said it a thousand times and I'll say it a thousand more. We don't just have a message. We have the message. No other religion has the same message as the message of Jesus as hope and savior of the world. Worship. Don't let anything master you. Let Jesus be the Lord of your life. You will not, listen to me, listen to me. You will not be disappointed. You will not be disappointed. Let's pray. Father, we look at this story and written by one of your disciples and he wrote it because he saw you die and then he saw you alive and as a result of insurmountable evidence of the fact that you resurrected he wanted your story to be told. If you didn't resurrect, John would have never wrote John. John would have never told about the Samaritan woman. We would have never known about that encounter. And it wouldn't have mattered. What makes it, what makes it important is because you rose from the grave. And as a result of you rising from the grave, we're just going to do whatever you do, and we're going to say whatever you say, and we're going to make you Lord of our life, because if you can predict your own death and predict your own resurrection and actually pull it off, we're just going to do, we're going to follow, and we're going to make not a place, a place of worship, but a person to worship. Everything else will eventually master us. Everything else will eventually bring about oppression and hurt and pain and struggle in our life. But you offer freedom from all of the chains that bind us. We thank you for the hope that we have in you. It's the reason why we're unashamed to share it with worshipers so that they can become true worshipers. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the guests that are here today, the babies, the children that were dedicated. Bless them, watch over them, care for them. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.